Ian, how are you? Good, Craig. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Welcome to episode five, our Melbourne Cup special episode. Did you have a good Melbourne Cup day? Yes, I have actually. That's great. You know why I was glad that we had a, an actual event that we could have this episode on because all the podcasts I listened to, they'd recorded their special Halloween episodes and, you know, we hadn't organized, you know, carefully enough to have our Halloween episode last week. So we got to have our event episode, Melbourne Cup episode today. So I'm happy about that. Yes. And now speaking of Melbourne Cup, did you get that email from James Gilbert at HubSpot? I did. And you know, when I got it in my email and we use Google Apps, yeah, I actually had a big, happy, lots of blank spaces day. Right. So I'll just explain. We James has used emoticons in the subject line of his email, and that's kind of all the rage at the moment. And it looks good when they display, but yeah. So what happened? It was just blank spaces for you. Yeah, it was. And then when you came back, and then when I opened it, I saw it in the subject line. I saw the emoticons. Uh, and then when you were talking to me, I went back and I can actually see it back in my subject line. Yeah, it all works. Yeah, I think because it downloads the images once you go into the email in Google Apps, I guess. Yeah. So what I liked about it is that he sent, and he's a he's a local HubSpot guy, and he sent it to, well, hopefully just Australians, but the emoticons were basically all around Melbourne Cup, had little horsies in the subject line. So it was pretty cool, and um, it was personalized. So it was basically timely and fun. And I really liked it, but the point is that I was going to say, I don't know what you think about this, Ian, but emoticons in email subject lines, I reckon they've got a a window of opportunity of about two weeks before everyone does them and everyone hates them getting them. So what do you think? Do you like them, love them or hate them? Oh, I don't mind them. I have a friend that is very big into Instagram and he uses a lot of emoticons and he loves it. Yeah. Um, Some people I know hate it with a passion. (laughs) But again, like I always say, know who you're talking to. And I think, um, you know, James has used it appropriately on a fun day like today where everyone's having fun. Yeah, no, he did well. Only James. So on to our inbound thought of the week. And uh, you've got an interesting one. Yeah, it's something that we had at inbound. And I think it was the last keynote from Daniel Pink. I really liked it because he talked a lot about sales. The one thing that really stood out, he said, you know, with people accessing a lot of information, we need to be the curators of the information. So we don't have to come up with everything, but we need to be able to curate it so we can give the people that we're talking to the right information at the right time. And I'll go back to that time where I spoke about the vacuum cleaner. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so again, if I was the vacuum cleaner guy, I could be curating the information and putting that um, a link to that great review for people who are looking for the vacuum cleaner comparisons. So I don't have to write it, but I can share that information. Yeah, exactly. And just for anyone uh, wondering what that's a reference to, I think it was in episode one or episode two where we talked about the value of detailed content at the right time. So the vacuum cleaner uh, comparison was used there. So um, check back on episode uh, one or two for the full story around that. I think people often come to us and say, what do I do? Like, do I have to keep coming up with all this information? But no, you don't. I think you need to be able to find the information. So I often tell people, I, they, people come to me and say, well, well, what car do I buy? You know, is this car good? Is this car bad? And you know what I do? I go search, I find the information and say, look, have a read of this or I'll skim it. 
pick out the main points and I'll say, I think, you know, if, when this guy wrote about this particular car, he liked X, Y, Z about it. He didn't like these points. But you can read, read in detail here. Yeah, right. So it's about adding value, providing Absolutely. value to your, to your readers. Okay. All the way. So, Craig, uh, I know you've um, been testing out some new features in HubSpot with the ads add-on. Yes, the ads add-on, which we chatted about last week. And uh, this can be our HubSpot feature of the week. I thought I'd just quickly cover it um, because, as you mentioned last week, HubSpot have now made it available in AUD currency as well. Previously, it was just USD. So it's now worth taking a look at. And I'll give you my quick review on it because there's good and there's bad. So I'll start with the bad. And then I'll finish with the good because I think this is heading in a really nice direction. And I'm kind of excited about how this is going to um, all play out in the next couple of months. But uh, the first thing to mention about it, the ads add-on, you, you can enable it in your HubSpot portal as a 14-day trial. It's very simple. So this is very much... Uh, what, what people refer to as an MVP or minimum viable product. It's definitely a version one. And at the moment, it only supports LinkedIn, which uh, was a surprise to me. I don't know why, but I thought it actually supported Google AdWords as well. But that was, I was wrong. It doesn't. I have applied for the AdWords beta, but I haven't got that yet. And hopefully I'll get that before my 14-day trial runs out, but we'll see. But it's very simple. It's LinkedIn only. And so what you do is you connect up your LinkedIn ads uh, campaign and this ads add-on within HubSpot allows you to create a campaign, set your targets, uh, bid targets and your demographic uh, targeting. And then it's in a nice little dashboard, it kind of keeps you um, updated with all the details that you would normally have. Um, So that's things like how much you're spending, impressions and clicks. So, so far so good, uh, but it's very simple. And so a few of the things that I then got a little bit frustrated with were when it lists the campaigns, it tends to assume that you're always bidding CPC, cost per click, whereas quite often in LinkedIn, I I actually bid on impressions, especially if I'm doing very niche targeted branding uh, kinds of campaigns. I'm I'm almost always using impression-based advertising on LinkedIn and they don't actually report that. It's all reported as a cost per click. So that's a little bit disappointing. There's none of the the click demographics that you'll get if you're actually in your LinkedIn campaign dashboard, if you're actually in LinkedIn itself. So they don't pull that through yet. Um, And also notice a few little bugs like um, it. One of the things that it does well is they're setting up this whole ROI calculation. So within HubSpot, they ask you to detail how much uh, a conversion is worth to you and then a percentage of how many of uh, those leads would turn into a customer. But there's only one dollar value for that. So you can't apply you can't apply multiple Uh, conversion values for different kinds of leads and also the thing is that it assumes that your conversion rate is one percent or above that turn into a customer so it's like there's no decimals you can't even choose 0.5 of percent or things like that so it's just a little bit limited i assume they're just little quirks that they'll iron out and so that's that kind of makes it very simple i also got a little error in my dashboard, we couldn't show you the ROI of any campaigns. And they said that because you've got campaigns that don't match the currency of your ROI calculation, even though everything I was doing was in AUD. So 
If it sounds like I'm being a little bit negative, then it, that's I am because I think it's just a little bit too early to evaluate it. And I would say to anyone that's looking at doing the trial, maybe just hold off. However, having said all of that, I can see where this is going. And this is what I'm really excited about because the ads add-on uh, is really just, this is just the first taste of where I think HubSpot's going in terms of pulling in all the cost data. So you can imagine down the track when they've got LinkedIn, AdWords, and say Facebook ads all integrated, if you're managing all of that from HubSpot and therefore being able to access all the spend data, imagine pulling that through onto your monthly report that you then um, listing not only the traffic, but the spend that you use to generate the the paid traffic to the site and then some of the ROI calculations. Imagine those as widgets on your main dashboard or as inputs into the new reporting tool. And you can see this is going to get really powerful. So I, I kind of see where this is going to be in a year's time. I think it's going to be a fantastic tool managing all of this from within HubSpot and reporting against it. At the moment, though, I think it's a little bit too simple. And so I wouldn't be rushing to use it unless you had very simple needs. The other use case where I think it could be useful is if you've got a LinkedIn business ads account and you've got a marketing team in your company. So your marketing manager, you've linked up your LinkedIn ads account through HubSpot. You can actually have your other members of the marketing team managing it from within HubSpot. So they don't even actually have to have all the login details for the LinkedIn site itself. So that might ease a whole lot of management problems as well. But uh, I've, I've given that quite uh, a few minutes talking through all of those, but that was kind of my, my experience with the new ads add-on. So some good, some bad. Uh, ultimately, very excited about where the tool's going. That's great, Craig. So do I take it that you can't do CPM ads? You can actually set up CPM campaigns. You can set them up, but you just can't report on the CPM stats at the moment in the dashboard. So if you want to do that, you actually would still go over to LinkedIn and manage them there or view them there. That's that a sense. very good thing. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds I'm, really good. Yeah, I'm sure they'll bring in all those things. So it's it's heading in the right path. Yeah, and you know what? This is, again, they've done something and they're testing it out, and I think this is a smart way to do things because they're, they're going to get feedback from all of us and everybody that's using it, and they'll build something better. Yeah, exactly. All righty, so moving on, our challenge of the week. Now, this is your challenge of the week this uh, this time. What's happened with you, Ian? So, Craig, I think I'll talk about from a business perspective. We mm. create a lot of content and mm. that goes on HubSpot and can be for public relations. And so we can sometimes, when people get really busy and start going really well, content approval can take a long time and then we get bogged down. So I've started using, for anything through HubSpot, we use it, the content calendar and create tasks for people to review it. And, you know, that works. But again, sometimes people can forget to do that. So I guess having a system in place or having an SLA, let's say, is probably a really great idea. And setting expectations with people about content. Now, one, I guess, interesting thing is when you're doing public relations or PR, when that content goes to an editor and then gets printed in a magazine or in a newspaper, 
I guess there's a point of no return. Whereas if you're publishing it on through your system and if there's something that needs a tweak, you can always go back and tweak it, right? Right, yeah. So I think that's the big thing. So maybe there's two different sets of SLAs that go around that because once we send something there's to somebody to get printed, we're not going to be able to get it back for updating. So Right. So so the challenge that you're having is sometimes it's not getting approved in time and it's holding up basically the process for getting results for the client. Is that Yes. Yeah. That's right. So I mean I'll take for example, we've had a client, we've been doing things for about three months. Things have been going well and then we've kind of increased the amount of content we're doing. And then we had a bit of a slowdown. But but we're all caught up now. But again, that's what happens. So I think just keeping that channel of communication open is important. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, I think content can be like that, it's especially if you're generating a lot. And we're going to chat about that a little bit later in this episode, just on how much content you're producing and the benefits of producing more. So it's definitely going to be a challenge for many marketing managers. And yeah, I like that approach of just having an agreement about the need to get it done because that impacts that has business impacts doesn't it if, yeah if, if there's no content then there's traffic drops and leads drop and yeah yeah and you know what and i think this could be one of those things where if content has to be looked at even by sales right so someone in sales might go well i i would like to review it from a sales perspective. So you might go through not one hand, but two hands before it gets back to you. So I think tightening that process is really important. All right, tip of the week. All right, tip of the week. So this is, I'll tell you my tip of the week. This applies for people that use WordPress as their site and they're using HubSpot with their WordPress site. And so that's what we do. Uh, on our agency site and we have clients that are the same they've got wordpress as their main content management system and they use hubspot within it for just about everything else so the the tip is to use the wordpress plugin the hubspot wordpress plugin and many people probably just have done this automatically and so they're thinking why is this a tip you know it was a bit of a no-brainer for them Um, the reason is because I know many companies, and we do this as well, we try and use Google Tag Manager to insert as many scripts on sites as possible. We try and reduce the number of plugins that we're using or the number of scripts that get added to headers and footers and all that kind of thing. So for a long time, we've just been inserting the HubSpot tracking script via Google Tag Manager. And it's all worked fine. However, I found out this at Inbound, um, uh, one of the uh, at one of the sessions I was at, they actually said the WordPress plugin actually offers a bit more. In fact, it offers more than just if you manually put the word uh, the HubSpot script into your site. The WordPress uh, plugin gives you additional data around categorizing the types of posts and pages you have, and they feed through into the blog tracker and page tracker pages within HubSpot, and I'll talk about those in a second. So the tip is to use the WordPress plugin uh, and not to do it uh, via the script insertion manually on the site. So I'll tell you a little bit about where where the extra features you get. And uh, if you're in the landing pages tool within HubSpot, 
And this used to be actually under the reports menu, but it's moved recently. It's now under the content section. So you're under landing pages and you're looking at how pages have been performing down on the in the landing pages site down in the bottom left hand corner there's more tools there's the page tracker and the blog tracker and if you click through to the blog tracker for example it'll actually know that from wordpress which ones were blog posts and it gives you some additional details around how many views those posts had and also there's this column called the CTA percentage have you have you seen this column Yes, yeah. I have, and it's only after you told me about it. But again, I think some you can get some really good information out of there into how people are flowing through. Yeah, exactly. So what it's telling you, I'll, I'll just explain how the CTA percentage is um, calculated. So imagine you're seeing the full list of all the blog posts, and so you're looking at last month, which blog posts and how many views did they get on my WordPress site. And then the CTA percentage column tells you what percentage of clicks of people that viewed that page actually clicked through to one of your CTA banners. So this might have been an offer you had and that was mentioned on the blog post, somewhere on anywhere on the blog post. This is really useful because you can have a look at this. And I was looking through all my blog posts and I was noticing that on some of the posts, um, I've got CTA percentages. Uh, a lot of them are kind of in the high 1%, then 2%. So I've got some up in the high 3%. So I've actually got a 5% one. And then I've got other posts that have zero. So people go to those posts. They're still getting lots of views, but they never go further. They don't click on any of my call to action banners. This is really valuable information because I can actually look at those pages now and say, right, this page is not working in terms of driving people on to a next step, whether that's filling out a form or whatever the CTA um, uh, goal was. And so that's actually really useful. So this all comes back to enabling the WordPress plugin on your site. So that's kind of my my tip of the week. But I actually have a follow-on from... Is this all making sense, by the way, um, Ian? Have I explained this well? Yeah, I think. I think the best thing to do is actually go and actually, while you're listening to this, actually go into the tool and follow it through. Yeah, which um, is difficult if you're driving and listening to this, but check out the show notes. We'll include links that explain how to do that as well. So you can check them out later. But I actually wanted to follow this up because when I was going through my CTA stats, we we should have a section called I'm an idiot tip of the week because (laughs) I I actually was looking at my CTA stats going, oh, this is really cool, great percentages. So then I went and looked at all my CTAs. I've got all these smart CTAs set up in, in HubSpot. And so the way I've kind of ordered them is I like to drive people through a sequence. So they get one offer and when they've filled that out, then they get they get shown a different offer when they're on the site. So you can imagine, let's say I've got 10 offers, but um, they've got to fill out one before they see the second one, and the second before they see the third. Anyway, so I went through my smart CTAs and I realized like there's a point in a lot of my CTAs, smart CTAs, where people are just not progressing. So they're, yep. they're just not getting past the third one. And so I've got all these other offers that people are never seeing. And I'm just like, oh, this is such a wasted opportunity. I'm an idiot. So the action item from that, there's two things. One, get your WordPress plugin in there. But even... Um, once you've got your WordPress plugin and you look in all your CTAs, 
even for everyone, this is not just WordPress people, go and check your CTA stats because I'll bet that some of your CTAs are never getting shown. So that's the action item. Check your CTA stats and if they're not getting shown. I think that's a great tip, Craig, because you know what? Again, this is information that has been highlighted to you where you can change it and make it better. Yep, I've learned it the hard way. So learn from my mistakes, people. That's right. The the Craig is an idiot tip of the week. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This leads perfectly onto the content tip of the week. Yeah. Which is quantity. Right. Now, I I brought this up because I think when we start and we do a lot of things with, with people that we work with, we start with pretty much one piece of content every week. And we're getting some traction. And then I went to Mads and I said, look, how do I make this better? And how do I? And he said, looking across everybody and about what he knows, looking at different people that use the system, he said three seems to be a sweet spot. And we've started doing that and we're starting to see some pretty decent results. Right. So um, three is hard work, right? I was going to say three per week. That's actually, that's a lot. Okay, so here's what I've done. Yeah. We've gone, we've continued with the one a week, which is the original piece of content. Mm-hmm. And then we've added two what we call commentary pieces. So this is where I'll use an example. We have a building client. So what we do is we go, well, we look at the news, see what people are talking about. You know, are they talking about granny flats? Are they talking about the interest rate today? For example, there's an RBA announcement. And we use that as the basis of our content. So we'll say, okay, well, what the Reserve Bank has said, they're going to keep the rate on hold. How do how does that, how do we see that affecting the building industry or the building of new houses? And we'll add about four, 500 words to that and then link to that article. So right. you're already starting from a base and you're kind of giving your commentary on that and kind of positioning yourself as someone who's not just talking about this one subject, but you're a bit broader than that. And that's what we're using. Nice. I like that for a number of reasons. One is because you've got that separation. You've got the kind of the key piece, which is probably more timeless. Uh, and then and then you've got the second piece, which is quite timely. It's based on very current happenings in the market. So there's yes. those two separates that's that's I like. And then there's also just that you're actually able to comment on other things and they know and you know it's relevant because people are talking about it in the news. So it's kind of like research done for you. This is what people are interested in, so you're providing commentary yep. and it's much easier for you to manage, a lot quicker for you to get out. Okay. I, I really like that. Okay, and so that's how you're getting your three per week. Three per week, yeah. This client. Okay, interesting. So yeah, I guess take away, try that out, give it a go, and see by doing those more commentary pieces uh, what results you get. And another little tip I can give you is that when you're doing those commentary pieces and say you're promoting through through Twitter, right? Right. Tag the, tag the person who's written it so that they can see it. Uh, nice. In Twitter. Yep, content promotion. Yeah. That's right. Influencer outreach a little bit. Yeah, nice. That's right. Very good. Okay, state of inbound item of the week. So this, if this is the first time you're listening, we each week we've kind of been covering a little little, um, little bite out of the state of inbound report. And you can get that at stateofinbound.com. 
and it's a report that HubSpot puts out each year, broken into some global trends around marketing and sales. And so what's our, what's our little marketing bite this week? So, Craig, the marketing bite this week is marketing challenges by region. So one thing in Australia and New Zealand, and this is on uh, page 42 of this report, so the first two things I think we've t- talked about before where it was proving the ROI of marketing activities and securing enough budgets, so that was 59 and 36% collectively. This, this, um, is the, this is marketing challenges. Correct. Right, yep. The third one on the list, which is at 30%, was managing our website. Right. Now, that's interesting because top three, that's obviously a big pain point for people uh, and people need to be trained. And I've even come across this with, potential clients we're talking to, it's always like, yeah, can you look after the website? Because we don't want to touch it. Right. That is interesting. I, I come across that as well, um, but I didn't realize it was such a big marketing challenge. That is interesting. Yeah. So I think as marketing is trying to be more agile and be able to update things and change stuff, they're not thinking like developers. So trying to work a system and trying to update, I think this is where the HubSpot website platform is probably changing things. Right. So the ability to to change and update sites and do it in a manner that's easy for people to understand as opposed to trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because you're in HubSpot uh, working out your campaigns and managing all your marketing activities. Well, why don't you just use the same system to create your website you've been building landing pages and you've been building emails why don't you use a familiar interface to build your website as well yeah that makes sense that's definitely the key so i think you know i guess from a perspective of i would encourage people to learn to to update their websites because i think that that empowers you to do stuff rather than rely on somebody else yeah i would agree with that definitely all right let's go on to the sales challenge for the week or the sales right. part of inbound. Okay. Did you want me to cover this or did you want to cover this as well? Yeah, page 62, prospecting is hard. Yeah. So did did you find this interesting? I thought this was interesting because the in on page 62, they're talking about what are the biggest challenges for salespeople, uh, what part of the sales activity do they find the hardest. And so out of the three main ones, which is prospecting, qualifying, and then closing, which one do you think's the hardest? And I would have assumed that closing was the hardest, but actually prospecting is the hardest. So it's interesting that that came out quite distinctly from the report. What, what are your thoughts on this? I'm, I'm kind of not surprised. I'll tell you why. Hmm. Remember that stat I shared last week? 30 hours a right. month spent on trying to find information. Yeah, okay. So I think people are struggling. And so because of that, you just got to think, what do you do to ease that burden and that pain? So I think CRM is really big. Yeah. And uh, collateral. So working on collateral for for sales teams so that they can easily send it out. So again, putting stuff into templates. So having the template email or having the document that's easy to share and having it in a central place where everybody is sending the same thing is a really key thing. Yeah, that's a really good tip. uh, There was another one I was reading. I was actually reading this week related to this in the sense of, well, who's responsible for creating that sales collateral? 
And the article I was reading, I just can't remember where it was, but if I find I'll put it in the show notes, it was really talking about how part of that is marketing's responsibility. Because often marketing, you know, when we think of the old days of marketing and sales fighting each other, it was always marketing was like, well, we're getting you the leads, but sales are burning the leads or they're trying to get, trying to close them too quickly, that kind of thing. Um, and therefore, well, actually marketing's got part of the responsibility for producing that collateral so that sales can be more effective when they are talking to those leads. So that's a, that's an interesting part of it. And when you mentioned that 30 hours that they spend um, just trying to prepare for meetings and getting whatever it is, pulling together notes and stuff, that, yeah, marketing can actually help in reducing some of that. Absolutely. And you know, another thing that's really interesting, and this is just on the following page, is that how much information does a company have about a lead before a sales rep actually contacts them, right? Yeah. So it says 43% have the contact information, which again is pretty low, but anyway. (laughs) Then the next percentage was social media information. So 31% actually have social media information. So Sorry, sorry. Can I just go back? So 42% have the contact information. Yeah. So if, if 43. You if you don't even have the contact information, then yeah, prospecting is going to be very, very hard, isn't it? What, what, what would they have? Just they must have nothing. But yeah, yeah it must have next to nothing. Might just have a name. Mm. Um, so I guess in the next part is social media information. Again, I think that's a really rich area where you can get a lot of data about people. Definitely. And again, using the CRM will actually help you enable you to do that. Another good thing is in the CRM, you can actually, and this is not a feature that's enabled, you actually have to enable it. I was going through setting up the CRM notes, is to actually, once you put a contact in, is to automatically create a company record or a company contact record based on that person's email address. Right. So that's not actually enabled in the CRM. So I didn't encourage you and I, I had to physically go turn this on last week okay. when I actually thought I'd do this look at the startup instructions for setting up the CRM and I thought that was really good because I've been doing that manually but uh, if you actually flick the switch it'll actually go out and do that for you automatically ah that's really cool I'll have to check that out because I'm pretty sure I don't have that switched on so no. I'll check it out nice so what I find interesting it's actually in the notes but it's actually not <laughs> automatically turned on Maybe they should just automatically turn it on. Yeah. I guess they've got to be careful, don't they? Because, I mean, some, I guess they've got a list of email addresses that wouldn't do it. So if it's someone at gmail.com, they don't want them creating a Correct. Google and there'd be a whole yeah. bunch of rules that they'd have to be aware of. So, yeah, yeah, I can understand why it's not turned on by default. It's probably too many cases where it doesn't work properly. But, yeah, that's really cool. I think I would turn it on because I'd be happy to check each one as they come through yeah yes so i've turned it on so i'm gonna see how that performs and then the last part to this is the website interaction information and this is really important and i think it's really it's the next step along the process when you can actually see what people have been interacting with on your website and and give the salesperson that information so they know exactly if they've been hovering around a particular part of the website they're obviously interested in that particular subject or topic or product Definitely. And that already can form their conversation back to the person. Yeah, definitely. Great, uh, great tip. That definitely providing context, yeah, just makes means that the salesperson's 
call and conversation can add a lot more value. So definitely. Oh, good one. All right. Final email tip of the week, Craig. Okay. So a little quick email tip of the week. Um, two parts to this because one is the tip and then two is how I discovered this tip, which I think is interesting in its own right. So it comes from autopilothq.com and they're, and I'll explain who they are a little bit later, but uh, their tip is to resend another copy of your email newsletter 48 hours later and you send it to the people who didn't open the first email. So you know they, it was delivered to them, but they didn't open it and you send it to them again, just those people that didn't open it. And the subject line is modified just a bit and it says reminder and then the original subject line. So whether it was November newsletter, whatever, reminder, November newsletter. And so that increases email open rates. And so I thought that was a really good idea. I haven't actually tried this yet, but I was I thought it was such a good idea. I wanted to include it in the in the show for people to try. And it's really easy to do in HubSpot because you can actually build lists based on whether people have opened or whether they've received but not opened and specific emails, that kind of thing. So when you send out your newsletter, you can then just create a second list, which is people that this was sent to who who received it but didn't open it. And then you can just clone your original newsletter and send it to that second list as well. So I'm going to try that this month and uh, see how it works out. But there's a little action item for you, test resending an email newsletter. So uh, are you, you going to try that as well, Ian? Is that a good idea? Absolutely, Craig. I'm going to definitely try that. I think it's a great idea. So we'll see how that goes. But the second part to this, I just want to, and we, we might kind of finish the show with this. I was just going to mention how I found that tip because I'd never heard of this company, Autopilot HQ, before. Um, and they're a little software company. Oh, they're not little. They're probably big. I don't know, actually. They're a great software company that does a little bit of marketing automation. Um, they're, they pull together sequences so you can build little workflows of things so you can they can detect whether a form's been filled out on a, on a site and then they can send an email and they can send SMSs and they can action other things. They're not really, they're not a competitor to HubSpot, I don't think, and they integrate with other tools and there's something to, to look at. So I've, I'm actually looking at them now for some other scenarios, maybe might, might use them. But the way I found out about this tip is I was on Twitter and this promoted tweet came through and the tweet just said uh, how to double your open rates of your newsletters and it linked through to this post and I thought oh okay well I clicked on that and so I came through and it was this blog post which we'll link to in the show notes that describes this process and what they did and how they actually use their put together their emails uh, and newsletters and so what I think is interesting about that is that I've never heard of this company before and yet uh, from a promoted tweet in Twitter, I've gone through to their site. I've really liked the content so much that I'm actually talking about it on this podcast. We're linking to them in the show notes. We're promoting the company and all of that from a promoted tweet on Twitter. So um, providing useful content to me at that particular moment has actually had quite a flow on effect. So my, I guess my closing point from all this is um, they could have just promoted their product, you know, we're the best some or something or other, send through to a product page. But instead, they just provided content that actually gave me value. And then I actually wanted to investigate them further. So the point there or the, the takeaway is you can use something like Twitter 
or any of the other these other social channels but definitely test promoting content as well as promoting just product pages and things like that so um, test and see the the kinds of results you get so that's yeah. the email tip of the week and I think there, it, one thing I noticed is that it had a really good headline, you know, how to double the double open rates in your newsletter. Now, that would get someone like us because that's what we want to do. Yeah. I'd love to know how they targeted that on Twitter, actually. They probably targeted other things I'd looked at because, yeah, it's pretty, pretty spot on for the kind of content that I read. Yeah. So, again, it's understanding what is hitting the spot with people. And may, who knows, they might, have, they might have actually tried that with different headlines to see which actually worked better. Yeah, you're probably right, actually. Yeah. So, all right, Craig, it's been a fantastic episode. Lots of good stuff in there. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's been a good one. All right. Well, thanks, Ian. Happy Melbourne Cup. <laughs> thanks, right? I'll talk to you again next week. See you, see mate. Ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.